All right, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, if you will. Genesis chapter 1. For several years now, I've been praying about doing this particular topic with you, and that is simply reminding us of who we are in Christ, what God initially created us to be. Reminding us that we have been created in His image. And let's begin by reading Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. About 10 years ago, we all became aware of the identity theft that was plaguing America. All these various insurance products were devised and created to protect you in case your personal identity would ever be stolen. And of course, we know what that means. Your identity, your social security number, your credit rating, your credit score, people taking out loans in your name, purchasing things, doing uh, nefarious things in your name. But while we were looking this way, Satan began to steal our identity from another direction. He began to confused the American people the farther we moved away from God that confusion seemed to grow thicker and today we don't even know many do not even know what gender they are identity is talked about all the time today and as a result you often hear that an individual chooses on the base of basis often of their own emotion how they feel about themselves, and that feeling dictating their personal identity. Let's make no mistake about what is happening around us. Though many believe that they have the freedom to choose their own personal identity, social constructs have now been put in place to guide one in the understanding of their personal identity identity. But let's not make the mistake as Christians to think that this is simply, simply a derivative of a social construct. And what I mean by that is this. It is something that society has created. It is something that is scientifically proven. It is something that psychologists and psychiatrists uh, believe need to happen for the further progressive evolution of the human spirit. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is a direct assault from Satan himself on the image of God. That is what's taking place here. Once and for all, Satan, I believe, has launched his last campaign before the return of Jesus Christ. Ultimately embodied in the person of the Antichrist, But today we see the ripple effects of the coming event. We see his spiritual assault. What we see happening in America is not simply 
psychological. It is spiritual. We are engaged in a spiritual warfare and the confusion that we see concerning identity today is a product of that spiritual war. Because God said from the very beginning, let us create them in our image. Male and female, he created them. And now we're questioning God. Well, we shouldn't be surprised. We've pushed God so far out of our conscience. We've suppressed any knowledge of him in unrighteousness, as Romans says. And now today we are reaping those things that we have sown. As Satan continues his onslaught, notice with me that we are giving 0.006% of the entire population of the United States of America more attention than anybody else. Notice that with me. We are thought to believe that everybody is transitioning, that everybody is confused about their gender, but that isn't the case. Again, that's what they want us to believe. And I believe the American people are waking up, not necessarily to the gospel, which is what I pray for, but to simple common sense. But we can't stop now, because the war is real. People are no longer asking external questions, specifically that about the end of the world. When I became a Christian, in the 80s. It was still on the heels of everything that happened during the 60s and 70s where many believed the world was coming to an end at that very moment. And so the book of Revelation and the end times were front and center in most Bible studies in most churches across America at that time. There were there was one apocalyptic movie created after another during the 70s and 80s because that was the thought and the sentiment of the people at that time. We're nearing the end. Well, let me say that we are, what, 30, 40 years closer now to the end? Things are happening in the world that the Bible said would happen 2,000 years ago. But none of us expected that we would be dealing with what we are dealing with today concerning identity. Some identifying as male or female, believing that their gender is separate from their personal biology. We have others that identify as furry little creatures and animals. And our job, according to the experts, is to affirm them in everything that they do. I wish my dad took that parenting school, okay? That he had to affirm everything that I wanted to do. I can say for a fact that I heard no from my dad more than I heard yes, okay? But for some reason, we now believe that the only method of parenting our child is to constantly affirm everything that they want to do. Some call it gentle parenting. I call it pushover parenting, okay? Let me tell you, your kids are not looking for another friend in you. They're looking for a parent from you. We have tried the whole let's be friends with our kids. And yes, I see Autumn as my friend. But I also see, more importantly, her as my daughter. 
And God has given me the responsibility as her father to parent her. Even though she's 24 now, I can still ground her. No. <laughs> Autumn's been in timeout since she was 20. My parenting role, though she is 24, has I'm still a parent, but in a different way now. Now, you know, because when they're teenagers, they, they think, oh, my parents don't know anything. They don't get it. They grew up in the Stone Age, you know. They didn't even have electricity, and they didn't have the Internet. I don't know how they survived. And now as we get, they get older, they see that parents maybe have a little bit of wisdom that they can benefit from. Ladies and gentlemen, we're called as parents to be parents. And our role as parents is not to affirm everything that our child wants to do. It is to guide them, to lead them, and if necessary, and it most importantly sometimes, we need to say no and stop them in their tracks before they harm themselves. 60 Minutes a year ago just put on a huge episode talking about the number of young people who began the transitioning process who regret their mistakes they regret their decisions, and they asked, why didn't my parents say no? And now they have come to life-altering places that they cannot reverse. A young man named Ali London has been taking the world by storm for Christianity lately. I don't know if you've heard of him. 33 years old. He underwent 32 surgeries transitioning from male to female, but also from Caucasian to Korean. He believed that not only was he born with the wrong gender, but he also was born the wrong nationality. And living in Korea, he believed that he needed to become like the Koreans. He flew all over the world to various places. Initially, his parents were affirming the surgeries, but then they started seeing that it became a problem. So he hid it. And as an adult, he flew around the world some more, secretly getting more and more surgeries. And he says in his testimony that after the surgeries, he would feel just, you know, elated and satisfied, but that satisfaction wouldn't last. And then he needed to run to find another surgery, to find acceptance, to gain affirmation. He was one of the first TikTokers to uh, achieve one million followers on his platform as he went through these various transitions. Finally, it came down to one afternoon, late e early evening in London, I believe it was. He was walking through the streets and he was empty inside. He was devastated by what had occurred in his life, realizing that this was not going to fulfill him. And he ended up, just by chance, how lucky is this, that he broke down on the stairs of a church. Deciding to walk into the church because he had some religious upbringing as a young child in his private schooling, the pastor saw him, began talking with him, and led him to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And now he is 
detransitioning. He is trying to bring back his form, but in the process, he is heralding through every social media outlet. He has been on Fox News, he has been on other places saying what a lie all of this is. And that the only place that we are going to find our true identity is in and through the person of Jesus Christ. See, the world may go about its plans and purposes, but those plans and purposes will never stop our God. The Epoch Times just this morning had an article, and this was the headline. Parents' personality disorders drive surge in trans kids, the psychologist reported, psychiatrist reported. Now they are looking at the parents, and rightfully so. Why are we enabling our children to do this? Why are we allowing this? And why do we believe that we need to affirm this? Now they're looking at the parents and saying the parents are also contributing to this problem. But that's the world. Now let's move into Christianity. Let's move into God's people. And through this series, as we look at the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis together today, we're going to do the whole thing, we'll be out by midnight, we are going to remind ourselves who we are in Jesus Christ, and at the end of it, we will understand why we were created in His image. And I hope that at the end of this all, because again, it isn't just relocated to a couple of verses. We need the context, we need the frame to understand what God meant when he created us in the manner that he did and stated what he said about us. And I hope, and it is my prayer, that at the end of it all, like myself, you will be amazed and see yourself completely differently. And hopefully you will see yourself as God sees you. So let us begin by looking at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And then God said, let us, let us stop there. The very first thing that we are introduced to is that this was a collaboration. Let us. And then later on, he says, in our image. Who is he referring to? There are three theological thoughts when it comes to the understanding of the pluralism that is revealed here in the words us and our. One is that God is speaking from a majestic point of view. As a king would you know, declare things in the third person, or in the sense we, exclaiming his authority in all things. But most scholars believe that that is insufficient to explain what God is doing here. Some believe that God is in conversation with the heavenly host, the angels that are about him in heaven, and that he is declaring that we are, he is going to create man in our image, meaning that there is some likeness between angels and God. Not that angels and God are equal to each other, they are not. For God has never been created, and angels have been created. But a similarity, that's possible, but scholars also believe that that is not enough to satisfy the text. The most common 
understanding is that God is speaking about His triune nature. That He's talking about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit working as one to create man in God's image according to His likeness. So the creation process is underway. And notice with me, if you will, that this creation process is defined by the term in verse 26, in our image. The word image there is key to our understanding. What did God mean by the word image? Now, some in the Christian, in Christian circles believe that we were created to be gods like God with small g carrying the same dynamics and so forth as he carries. I reject that. I don't believe that's what God is saying here at all. I don't think God made a lot of little gods, okay? And some who believe that believe that we can speak things into existence. Can you imagine two people trying to speak things into existence on the same day? One wants it to rain and the other one doesn't. Rain, sun, rain. Who wins? I don't believe that that's what God intended here at all. The word image that is used there is the word salam, S-E-L-E-M. And it means representation. We were meant to be his representation here on this earth. That's what he created us for. And bringing in the word likeness later on in the verse we see that there's similarities, and those similarities are confined to life, personality, truth, wisdom, love, holiness, and justice. Us having these capacities allow for spiritual fellowship between us and God. Let me say that again. He gave us attributes such as life, personality, truth, wisdom, holiness, justice, and so have the capacity for spiritual fellowship with Him. That is it, that He gave us the capability of having fellowship with Him. Now, what is this about us being His representative here on this earth? What is He saying? What is He trying to convey? Well, as we move on, we see that the word dominion is used. And that word leads us to analyze the various process of creation itself. Of course, it begins with God and then six days he created. And the seventh act of creation was the creation of man. But in the articulation of creation, which we'll look at as we go forward, in that articulation, there's a placement of man that makes it very interesting and unique. He created everything. He created the garden. He created all that was in the garden. He created the land. He created the water. He created the earth, the sky, etc. He did all of that. But then the crowning representation of his creation was the creation of man. Look at it this way. Look at it as that each stage of creation was making a pedestal, and then on top of the pedestal, he created man, okay? Do you remember when we uh, watched the Olympics and the Olympians Olympians were rewarded at the end of the competition? 
that they each stood on one bracket that's higher than the other. The, sil- the gold was at top, and then the silver was second height, and then the, the bronze, and then the guy who you know, gets the participation trophy is standing behind them. No, I'm just kidding. What Moses is saying here, when the Egyptians read this, or the others in pagan worlds read this, they would realize that just as they create gardens to their gods, and then place the centerpiece within that garden, a statue of their God. God did the exact same thing at the beginning of creation, and the centerpiece was the creation of you and I. Because we were meant to represent Him to the world in which He created, that God ultimately has dominion over all the world, and He has given us that dominion, and now we are in charge to rule over all that God has created for us. Now, this is very important into our discussion. We here at Calvary believe in a literal six-day creation. We believe that God used six 24-hour periods of time to create everything. Okay? Does that make sense? Some people say, well, that's just impossible How could God have ever done anything that quickly? Really? I'm surprised it took him that long, you know? He was really orchestrating things well. But the centerpiece, the seventh act of creation, the creation of man on the sixth day, was the centerpiece. This was the crown jewel. And to us, he gave the purpose of dominion. Notice with me here in our text. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing. Okay, I keep reading this verse to my daughter when she calls me in to kill a spider. I says, honey, you got it. You got it. All right? In the name, just go in there and take care of that spider in the name of Jesus. Okay? You got it. Over every creeping thing. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. To understand our purpose. We need to understand why God created us. And it is found in the word image, likeness, and dominion. Those three words. And let me explain to you how that works. Once we understand that we were created for fellowship with him, to represent him on this earth, to have dominion over all that he has created, And the word in Hebrew for dominion is R-A-D-A-H, re-da, okay? It means to have rule or to subject things under our submission, okay? Our rule. Now, this is very important. One of the number one questions that young people are asking themselves today is, what is my purpose in life? 
They are looking for purpose, and this is often a large component that drives them into the understanding of, or into the belief of gender dysphoria, into the, the need to transition. So they're accepted, and attention is given to them. They're looking for uniqueness in a blasé world. You know, everybody is about individualism here in the world today, in our nation today. We all want to be individuals as long as we conform with everybody else. It's kind of an oxymoron there. But again, the question that people are asking is, what is my purpose here in life? In our postmodern culture, we are questioning, criticizing, and have lost all trust and confidence in every institution of our society. We don't trust anybody anymore. And in that lack of distrust, I mean, I'm sorry, in the wake of that distrust, we have lost all sense of purpose. But this is where God comes in, and this is where we find the answer to the why we are here and the purpose of our creation. A wonderful Christian named Dr. John Lennox. Maybe you've heard of him. He's an Oxford mathematician. He's a brilliant man. In fact, I would claim that he's probably one of the smartest men on the earth today. He's a wonderful gentleman. Uh, he is very warm and approachable. He has debated some of the greatest and most well-known atheists in the world and often makes them look very silly. He shows through mathematics the logic of mathematics, and he also shows the reasoning that mathematics point to God. It's just incredible stuff. You know, it's one of those YouTube videos that you have to watch 19 times before you get it all. I show his videos to my classes because in some ways he articulates things very simply. But when we debate the existence of God in the secular arena of the universities, if we were to debate solely on biblical basis, which I think is a good way of debating, they would immediately reject our argument because they believe that it's based on a fallacy, and that is the Bible. So there are three arguments to prove the existence of God outside the Bible that are often used. One is called the analogical uh, ontological argument, one is called the cosmological argument, and the third one is called teleology, and that's the one I want to introduce to you this morning. In this argument, the argument can simply be summarized as this. It is the study of the evidence of design, quotes, purpose in nature, meaning that if something carries within it design, the logical conclusion is that it was designed for a purpose. Now, using it for the existence of God, we use this argument to state that if something carries within it design, there must be a designer. Does that make sense? Okay, see? You guys are brilliant. But... What it also answers is the question, is there any ultimate meaning to life? That question is answered within the understanding of the purpose of the designed object. 
So what is our design? What have we been designed to do? That design leading to our purpose and understanding. And for example, the Christian worldview holds the purpose of a thing must be given to it by a higher authority. Okay? Must be given to it by a higher authority. Here's what I'm saying. The reason people don't know what their purpose is is because people don't know God who gave them design and created them in His image. Does that make sense? The farther we move away from God, it is completely logical to, believe, to understand the reason we no longer understand and know our purpose for living in this world any longer. And that's what this argument states. Since naturalism teaches that there is no higher authority, no deity, it deduces that mankind has no ultimate purpose in life. If you were simply a byproduct of an accident of evolution, if there is no God, then you truly have no purpose for your existence. And you are looking for purpose often through uniqueness, if you can track with me, my purpose is found in my uniqueness, so individuals are looking for uniqueness and therefore deriving purpose from it, right? I believe the same is true for Christianity. God wants you and I to be unique for Him, because that's what we were created to do. We were created for the purpose of representing Him in this world. We were created in His image, in His likeness, for the purpose of representing the fact that the kingdom of God is here on this earth and is growing and gaining momentum and will climax with the return of our King to this earth, moving us into the millennial kingdom. In Genesis 2.7, God says, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living thing. Now this brings us to a very interesting point. Today, in the wake of the climate crisis that we are being told that we are in, the preservation of the planet that we believe is now necessary, we have to go back to a hypothesis that was given in 1973 that permeates thinking today. It's called a Gaia prof, uh, hypothesis. And what this basically means is this, that the center of all creation is the earth itself. From the earth came everything that is on the earth, including man. And man does not have any greater significance than any other evolved species that is on the earth. And if man becomes the problem to the sustainability of the earth, then man must be eliminated. And this is the argument behind much of climate change that believe that it is we who are contributing to this climate change through various fossil fuels, usages, etc. This is what individuals believe is the necessity for the depopulation of the earth and leading men like Bill Gates to believe that the earth can truly only sustain about 500 million individuals. 
Well, in a world of 8 billion, we're talking about a decrease of 7.5 billion people. Because naturalists see everything from the scope of the reality of the existing nature, they totally dismiss the supernatural and the understanding of God. But this leads us to a very important understanding about our creation. In fact, if we go back to Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28, notice with me the same type of argument that the religious leaders posed to Jesus concerning the Sabbath. The question is, was man made for the earth or was the earth made for man? Think about that for a minute. Was, the, was man made for the earth or was the earth made for the man? Jesus asked it this way when it came to the Sabbath. And the observance of the Sabbath. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. They put it all backwards. And today in our naturalistic society, they're putting it all backwards. They said that the focal point of creation is the earth itself. We say the focal point of creation is God himself. And if they believe that the earth is the center of all creation, they're going to do whatever it takes extreme measure that is needed to preserve the earth. Do you get the argument now? This is where they are coming from. No, the crown jewel of God's creation was you. God made the earth for you to enjoy, for you to rule over, not the other way around. Yes, we should be conscientious of our, the place in where we live. Of course, I'm not advocating otherwise. But to think that this is the center and all creation derives from the earth itself, that's ridiculous. No, it is God who created us in his image, in his likeness, to represent him on this earth. And by doing so, we show that as we carry out dominion over the earth, we are showing and demonstrating that God has dominion over us. That's what we're explaining. That's what we're demonstrating to the world in and through our life. But then, unfortunately, we come to Genesis chapter 3. And everything changed. This is the way God intended us to be. But giving man the free will to choose to love him, to obey him, out of a heart of love, Man chose to disobey. And when man did such a thing, it plunged the, not only man into sin and death through Adam, but the whole world. Paul the Apostle says that the world was subjected to futility. When man sinned, it didn't only affect man. It affected the whole creation. Why? Because the creation was created for man, not man for the creation. And as a result, the dominion, the representation that we were meant to display was lost. And we subjected the whole world that God had given us 
to the authority of the one who fell before us, Satan himself. And this is what God has been rectifying ever since. When he walked out of the tomb on the third day, he was declaring to all of creation that the process has now begun of restoration through reconciliation in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And that reconciliation, where did it begin? Did it begin with the created things? It began with you. It began with you. As God began to reconcile us back to him. The most important element of his creation, right? Ultimately, the earth will be renewed. But he started with you and I. As we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, another Another step towards complete reconciliation and restoration is taking place in the world. This is God's plan. You fell, God came to rescue you. And that's what he is going to do. Eventually, the Bible tells us that we will be once again placed in that position of dominion but Christ himself will be the head of that dominion. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2, 5 through 9. For he has not put the world to come, which, he, which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have you've crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hand. And you put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see all things put under him, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Meaning, this is the beginning of it. And regardless of what Satan tries to do, regardless of what the world tries to do, that reconciliation and restoration is already taking place, guys. It cannot be stopped. It is like a freight train, all right? And though they try harder and harder to cancel, to, you know, to suppress, to censor, the gospel still makes its way to even a young man who's gone through 32 surgeries, sitting on the steps of a church, contemplating his own purpose in life, his dissatisfaction, turns around to find God is right there. This is what God is doing to bring us back to that perfect image in which he initially initially created us to represent and to resemble. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness after the fall of Adam and Eve and sin entering into each person after Adam and Eve. Notice what the devil said to Jesus in Luke. And I think it's interesting that Luke wrote this to Theophilus, a Gentile who did not have the backstory. Notice what he says. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. 
And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. When was it delivered to Satan? It was delivered to Satan at the fall. The dominion that man had was given to Satan at the fall. Satan is now saying to Jesus, I can give it to anyone I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me before me and all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, thank God for this, right? Get behind me, Satan. Translated in Eric vernacular, no way, pal, it ain't happening. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only should you serve. The process is already taking place. Notice what Paul wrote. And when you read through Romans with this in mind, consider these words. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I'll leave you with this. His marching orders for us. I beseech you, therefore, my brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to, of to God, which is your reasonable service. And notice what he says in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not allow the world to make you into its image. Allow the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside out into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what's on display here. That's what's happening here. Paul says, don't go that way. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't subject yourself to the understanding of this world. So many individuals that are on YouTube talking about the freedom that they experienced in their deconstruction of Christianity. All they demonstrate at the end is that they take themselves out of the authority of Scripture and put themselves in their personal authority. I get to now choose what is right and wrong. Let me tell you, that is the beginning of being led to being conformed to this world. But God says, I've given you the Holy Spirit. And that spirit is working in my word to transform you, not to the image of this world. Notice that. But to the image of Jesus himself, pure perfection. That's what God is doing. We were created to represent God, to have dominion over this earth. He created us male and female. And in that design, there was significant purpose. And it's that purpose that we will explore going forward in our series in His image. And it all begins with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen?